Hey, uh, I don't remember if Scott said it or not. It's always a little awkward for him to have to do that. Uh, but I do want to remind you and mention to you that two weeks from tonight, Sunday, October 9th at 6 p.m. right here, we will be having an ordination service for Scott Cleveland and for David Wyman. Now, you folks approved that back in the spring and told us to move ahead with having a council. Uh, that's the inquisition, if you will. And that's all done with. The hard part's behind those guys. And so we're going to have a service here at 6 p.m., uh, Sunday, October 9th, and you need to be here. You don't want to miss it. This is a great encouragement to those guys. We will be presenting the recommendation of both councils. Obviously, it was positive or we wouldn't be having the service on the 9th, right? So, see, there's nothing to be nervous about. We want you to come join us, and uh, we're going to present that. It's going to be a great evening. You don't want to miss it. It'll be a great encouragement. We're going to have... Uh, a reception afterwards, and uh, it'll be a, 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 a great time for you to join us. So please plan on that. Forget the evening football game. Put it, you know, tape it, record it, whatever, and uh, you'll be all set, ready to go. All right, Psalm 23. And if you didn't get one of these, we put together a notebook to encourage you, and uh, they're available for you. You can take notes however you want to do it. And there's not a lot to it other than an opportunity for you to have something. You can have it all put together and uh, work on keeping notes. However you do that, we've got those available to you. Well, welcome to Heritage. If you're a guest, a visitor, not with us, we are glad you've taken the time to join us. Can you believe it was 37 degrees yesterday morning? <laughs> Looking for the snowflakes. And uh, wasn't happening yet, uh, but it'll be here before we know it, right? Oh, you say, stop talking like that. Well, all right. Well, I believe we can safely say probably that the most famous or recognizable verse of the entire Bible is John 3.16, right? If you are any kind of a sports fan, or even if you're not a fan, but you have the TV on, you sit with whoever just to be there, you see it all the time. It's in the end zone right through the goalpost, right? If it's a basketball game, it's usually right up behind the, the backboard. So when they're shooting free throws, you can see it. It's there. And Tim Tebow, he, he really uh, put it out there, and it's there. So however it is, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but will have eternal life. John 3, 16. Well, that's probably the most recognizable verse. If we're looking at chapters, we could talk about a number. We talk about the resurrection chapter or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but um, we want to talk about the most famous, probably recognized chapter. And maybe you don't think about it like that, but it is, of the Bible, would be Psalm 23. And so as we talk about and jump in, you may have heard, heard more often referred to as the 23rd Psalm. And it's quoted at a lot of places. It's certainly used often at funerals. 
It is used sometimes at weddings, but it is used in many places for many reasons, and we're going to dig into that for the next seven weeks as we talk about this. Now, I'm guessing that many of you would be able to quote it, right? How many of you think you could quote Psalm 20? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to, oh, come right up front and let's hear. Yeah, no, 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 I won't do that to you this morning. But yeah, Psalm 23. And uh, if you haven't quoted it, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so in the, in the weeks ahead. But uh, like other well-known sections of the Bible, the, um, I want to sound a note of caution. You say, what? The Bible caution? Yes. The caution isn't about the Bible, but it's about well-known passages, verses, or chapters of the Bible. We can sometimes become so familiar with a verse or a chapter that it becomes really very routine. And the danger of having it a routine text or verse or passage is that we too easily miss its impact. We can just rattle it off, quote it, throw it out there, but it's like, we don't think about what it means for us, how it applies to our life. Sometimes we know that very well, but we really don't know what it means. We don't have a full understanding of its meaning. And we want to, over the next seven weeks, help you to gain a greater understanding of the 23rd Psalm. And I'm going to ask you to memorize it. In fact, I'm going to ask you to begin to do that. You've got it in front of you. Now, the front page is not what I want you to memorize. That's just another uh, English translation that a, a writer of a book that I've been reading on the 23rd Psalm had put together, and it's based on his understanding of the Hebrew, and so he interpreted it that way. But throughout the book, and in, it's there in the New International Version. That's the translation that we typically use, the NIV. And I'm going to ask you to memorize it in the NIV. I'm going to guess a lot of you who know it already may have, if it's the older crowd, right, learned it in the King James Version. And it flows that way. Very poetic. I get it. But here's why I'm going to ask you to do it in the NIV. Because... It's not as familiar in the NIV. If you memorized it, it probably isn't that way. And so as to get beyond the familiarity of a King James memorization, going to encourage you, ask you to do that. I think it will help you to think it through as you learn it that way. So be working on it. I don't have any prizes or, uh, you know, look under your seat. And if you do, there's an envelope full of cash for it. No, not like that. Uh, we're not doing it that way. But uh, I hope you're with me. I hope you'll take the time. We're going to go through one verse a week. My wife said to me, well, you have seven weeks. There's only six verses. I said, well, you know me. I always have plenty to say, so, you know, we'll need, I allowed myself an extra verse, plus that takes us right up to the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and I think we'll be good and set and ready to go there. We are living in difficult and challenging days. That is not a secret. Just follow the news, be aware of what's going on, and I hope that Psalm 23 will fit, meet a need for you. Uh, there are some very specific applications for us as we think about how the Word of God can be helpful to us, how Psalm 23, uh, I think particularly now, even very specifically now, 
uh, will allow us, help you to get to know God and our shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now, we talked last week about knowing God, not knowing about God, but knowing God. And I think Psalm 23, uh, the emphasis there is on the Lord as our shepherd, and I believe this will be an opportunity for you to grow and mature in a significant and noticeable way and give you a, a, a better understanding, hopefully, than what you may have at the moment, I'm not making guarantees that you're going to walk away after seven weeks and say, man, I learned something every Sunday that I've never, ever learned before. That may happen, but many times it's just we need to be reminded of what we already do know. And so we're going to dig into it that way. So Psalm 23, if you haven't already opened your Bibles, please do so. And if you don't have a Bible, a, a handheld copy other than the phone or a tablet underneath the chair in front of you there should be a bible and in that bible um, you can find that and and use that page 382 page 382 now i'm going to do something as we begin we may do this every week but we're going to do it today i'm going to ask you if you'll stand and i'm going to ask us to read together psalm 23 now i have it on the screen in front of you it is in the niv if you don't have that but uh, so here's how we will just read it together. All right, just here we go. Psalm 23 and verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. That was great. So, as we look together, the 23rd Psalm, uh, it, we could, there's a lot of ways we could go and pick a theme, and simply put, I was moved by this whole idea as I've read through the Psalm a lot recently, and trying to think through it in a new and fresh way, just simply all I need. All I need. And as we work through this, we're going to see that the all isn't stuff. The all is the Lord, our shepherd, all I need. And so as we talk about this, it's a Psalm of David, the shepherd king. Not often that a king had been a shepherd beforehand, uh, because they usually start with royalty right from the beginning. That wasn't the case with King David, with the shepherd boy. A psalm of confidence, a psalm of contentment, thus the all I need. It is an awe-inspiring exclamation of trust, trust in God. Trust is one of those things that's hard to have, especially if you don't know that individual. But when we know God, even sometimes we know, we understand, but we don't trust 
There's still that hesitance. There's that fear at times. But that's what David is exclaiming here. It is trust in God. It's not just an emotional outburst. And sometimes we get all wound up. Sometimes there are significant things happening in our lives, circumstances that are hard and difficult and put us on our knees before God and and we're willing to listen and learn and cry out. But that certainly is part of what can be happening from David. But as we talk about David is saying we trust God. Why? Because you look down in verse 4, he says, for you are with me. You are with me. And we'll get to verse 4 down the road here, but as we talk about this, verse 1 serves as an introduction, I think, to the entire psalm. And so we're going to look at verse 1 today as the introduction to Psalm 23, so let's jump in. And we're going to look at it uh, kind of in a a, a four-point outline Um, A little bit different because simply put, I'm going to go right through that verse and first of all say, who? The Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Who? The Lord. And when we begin Psalm 23, the emphasis many times on Psalm 23, we think is on us. It's all of what the shepherd does for me, for us. And and that's, yeah, that's, there's a lot of that in there, but I got to say right at the very beginning, Uh, David begins, he begins and ends Psalm 23 with the Lord, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He ends verse 6, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So it is the Lord that we need to focus on. Yes, we have a place and we'll see that because when we know him, that's a significant thing, a significant truth for us who can say that with him today. But the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the word Jehovah. Some would say Yahweh because that's just without the vowels in it. But Jehovah, Lord, there are different names of God throughout Scripture. The one that we use here as Jehovah is all capital letters or all uppercase letters. L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and you'll see it in your Bible, and it is spelled out that way. The Lord is my shepherd, the Lord Jehovah. And and it indicates, using that name, his personal relationship with his people Israel. But that would also be true for us. That relationship, we'll talk about that in a little bit. The name that he used to in in his promise to Abraham that he would make of Abraham a great people, a great nation, and a great blessing to the world, to all the peoples on the earth, ultimately to us. But that's the Lord. And when you look back, you see that it was capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, to which he revealed Abraham uh, with that name. The idea, it, it comes from a verb that means to be. And therefore, we get the name I am. That's the same name when you throw out Scripture. And I want you to look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. When God was talking to Moses. And, um, you know, we, I know some of the community groups last week, when we, we talked about Exodus 33, about knowing God, And uh, some started out back in Exodus chapter 3 
because that's where God had called Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of the slavery. That was going to be a big deal. It was going to be a tough job. And, and Moses made all kinds of excuses and he didn't know who God was. In fact, this is that account, verse 3 or chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites. God had said, Moses, I want you to go to the Israelites and, and then you're going to lead them out and you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to tell him what you're going to do and that's going to happen and God says to Moses uh, that's what he wants him to do so verse 13 Moses says suppose I go to the Israelites Moses is just like okay God well let's just say I do this you can already feel the uh, I'm not sure this is really one of but suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name then what shall I tell them? God, what do I say? If they ask me, okay, God sent you, what's his name? Tell us his name. God, what am I supposed to say? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What kind of a name is that? I hear that and I go, I am what? Right? I, what do you mean? I am. I am what? Finish the sentence. Well, uh, no, it's the name. I am. Verse 15, God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, in your Bible it should be all uppercase, L-O-R-D, right? That's what's there. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am who I am. I am the Lord Jehovah. The one with a personal relationship with you. You say I am has sent me. You know, that's an inexhaustible name. I am. It's just, it's, it's huge for our finite, limited minds and thinking. What we read is it's an infinite name, unlimited meaning to that name. It speaks of God's self-sufficiency. He needs nothing or no one. God is everything. He is all-powerful. It is a name that indicates timelessness. I am always present. Not I was, not I will be, that's all true, but I am back at the very beginning. I am right now and I am in the future. I am always present. That's significant. Because when we talk about knowing the presence of God, do you ever go through difficult experiences and wonder where is God? Well, if you know him, if you have that eternal life, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's right here, right? He's right here, and we know he is with us. I am always present, timeless. He always is the same. He always does the same. We don't have to worry about him being different 
today than he was yesterday or that he might be different tomorrow than he is today. He is timeless. Always I am. Always has been. Always will be. In the New Testament, Jesus, in the Gospel of John, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The fourth book in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, there are seven names that Jesus identifies himself to his people. He uses the phrase, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. We're going to talk about that a little bit. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way the truth, and the life. And then he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Complete dependence on him. I am the vine, you are the branches. What, what David recognizes here when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying he knows it's the Lord Jehovah, the great I am, I am all that you need, is what God is saying. I am whatever you need me to be. That's why Jesus refers to himself and references himself in, that, in at least those seven ways. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am all that you need when you need it right there in the present. Folks, let that sink in. Because we go through life and we get ourselves circumstantially in trouble. We lose hope. We fill up with fear because we forget that God is always present. I am what you need. I am the Lord. I am all you need just sit by yourself sometime each week over the course of this study and just say to yourself the lord is my shepherd the lord is my shepherd just continue to speak it and let it flow and sink down and let it touch your heart because it's such an amazing truth that we so often in the busyness and the craziness and the hectic pace at which we live life, we don't take the time to remember that I am the Lord is my shepherd. Secondly, not just the who, the Lord, but he says the who's. Look at it, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. My indicates that the Lord and I have a relationship. David is saying he's my shepherd. Sometimes we don't like that pronoun because we watch our younger kids, right? Or grandkids. They're always mine, mine. And we try to teach them that. Well, as it relates to God, the Lord, our shepherd, the great I am, he is my shepherd. My shepherd. It indicates a relationship. It's not if, it's not but, it's not I hope so. No, the Lord is 
my shepherd. One writer put it this way, probably the most single important word in this psalm is the little word, my. You can know that the Lord is a shepherd, but that will not do you much good. That's the difference between the, the who and the what. That's the difference between what we talked about last week as, as the content, right? And then the understanding, the knowledge. And, and that's what we can understand that he is a shepherd. You can even understand that the Lord is the shepherd. The only one in the universe who can fully meet your need. The only one in the universe who can fully meet my need. But it is only when you and I have come to a place in our lives where our confidence in him is personal. And it's only when we understand that he's my shepherd that we can sing the song with David of Psalm 23 and say with him, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm serious when I say get, you've got to get alone at least for a few minutes every week over the course of these next seven weeks and just say that to yourself. Pray that to God. Thank God. Lord, thank you that you are my shepherd because the Lord is my shepherd. Say it. Meditate on it. Get it in your heart. But if that's an indication of relationship, we must pause and ask, so do you have a relationship with the Lord here today? Just a little, a little parenthesis, time out for a second. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Do you know him? And again, I didn't say do you know about him. I didn't say do you know the facts about him. Do you know him? Can you say with David, the Lord is my shepherd? Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10 in the New Testament. John chapter 10. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of verses there. In John chapter 10, those IMs are all found in the Gospel of John. I mentioned that, but just so that as you go through, just read through the Gospel of John, and you'll see the seven IMs. But in verse 1 of John chapter 10, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. Notice how, how, how John is describing the relationship of the shepherd and the sheep to know whether you know him. If you know the shepherd, if you're one of his sheep, look at verse he, uh, right ver the middle of verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him. Sheep follow the shepherd because they know his voice. Verse 5, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him. Problem is, we sometimes do follow strangers. Who are the strangers you say? Well, I think in the context, it's the thief and the robber who have a different message than the shepherd, 
who want to take us a different place. Take us into things that are not good for us. But they will, verse 5, never follow a stranger. We read that because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, on the gate for the sheep, I am the door. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. There's the strange voices, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So as we talk about the answer to the question, do you know him? Is he your shepherd? I'm asking, are, do you listen to God? Are you listening to the shepherd, to Jesus Christ himself, who says, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the only way you can get to a relationship with God. Do you know his voice? Do you follow him? Are you listening to other strange voices instead? Are you buying up what you're hearing in the media and reading and all the rest of it? Because if you are, it's not going to lead you to the truth of a relationship with God. Do you have life? Do you know the good shepherd? When Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, no man can get to God the Father except through me. If you're not listening to that voice, you're in trouble. I just read, a, started to read an article, dig into it. I just perused it. But it was a, a theological survey that had been put out amongst evangelical believers, Christians today. One of the things that it said was that over half the people who claim to be evangelical Christians don't believe that the Bible is or that Jesus, that the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to salvation. But that's what the Bible says. That is what Jesus said. And you won't know him if you don't follow that voice. We mentioned last week, John chapter 17 and verse 3. Now this is eternal life. What? That you know, or that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. That they know you. We sometimes make it very difficult and complex. It's really not. It's very simple. It's we must know Jesus Christ to know God the Father. Jesus went to the cross. He died there, willingly gave up his life, shed his blood as the payment for our sin. And when we believe that Jesus did that for us, our sin is forgiven. We enter a relationship with Jehovah by faith in what Jesus did on the cross. That's the gospel. And you don't know God unless you know by faith what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then this, if you know him, is your life abundant? Is it full? Is it satisfying? As a believer, as one who is the Lord is your shepherd. Is your life satisfying? Is it better than you ever dreamed of? That's how the message translates it. 
I like that. Is it better than you've ever dreamed of? It ought to be. You see, Jesus in John chapter 10 and verse 10 didn't just say, I have come. He says, the, the thief and the robbers, they come to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. That's eternal life. That's what we're talking. But also life to the full, abundant life, satisfying life, overflowing life, life better than I dreamed of. Do you have that as a believer? If not, you got to ask, why not? Why not? Maybe you're not following him. That would, that would sure ruin things pretty quick. Maybe you don't hear his voice or listen. Maybe you hear it, but you're not listening and obeying that voice. That would also destroy the fullness and the abundant living. Thirdly, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What's That's the what. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. This means that we're sheep. In the metaphor that we're reading here that David is using, that we just read about and Jesus himself used in John chapter 10, it means we are sheep. And sheep are among the most helpless. And if your mom and dad told you not to use the word stupid, cover your ears. But sheep are known as the most helpless and stupid animals there are. And they desperately need guidance and assistance from a shepherd. Maybe that's why God's people are likened to sheep. Sheep will fall over a cliff. When we first uh, got out of college and, and got married and Seven months later, started pastoring a church in southern Iowa, a farming community. We had one guy in our church, Perry Sellers, who was, had sheep. The only one in our church. He, a lot of them, they raised crops and all kinds of corn and beans and cows and all the rest of it. Pigs or hogs. I forget what we call them, hun. What do we call them? Pigs or hogs? It doesn't matter. They're, you know what I'm talking about. It's where you get your, it's where you get your bacon, right? All right. Well, but we had this guy had sheep. And he would say, Pastor, those sheep, I got to watch them all the time. He said, do you know how stupid they are? I'm like, no, Perry, but I think you're going to tell me. He said, this is the truth. He said, if we're not watching them, if we don't have fences up, he said, they will literally walk right off a cliff because they have their head down, they're following the grass, they're eating the grass, they're not looking up, and they would go right over a cliff. I can be that way sometimes with pizza, right? <laughs> as long as I'm not eating in the car, I'm okay, right? Don't text, right? Oh, no. Philip Keller, who wrote the book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I'd highly recommend that book for you. It's been around a long time, but he was a shepherd and a pastor. And he wrote a book, and it's really great. He says this. I have a think. Yeah, I do. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock. Endless attention and meticulous care. 
Now you say, Glenn, why are you telling us about sheep? Because that's what we are. And if we're not paying attention to the voice of the shepherd, we're, we're in trouble because sheep need endless attention and meticulous care. If we're not following God, we're in trouble. That's the point. John chapter 10, look there, back at verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. He laid down his life for me. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Why? Because he's all we need. If Jesus died for you, he did it for one reason, because without him, you're in trouble. If Jesus died, he died because it's the only way that he could forgive our sin. We need him. All that I need. Jesus, the shepherd. When you read in Luke chapter 15 about the parable of the lost sheep, told about the shepherd who had 100 sheep and had 99 of them, but one was lost. What did he do? He left the 99 to go find the one. Our shepherd would do that for us? Yes, because he gave his life for us. And then fourthly, so what? The Lord is my shepherd. So what? Well, here's the so what. I lack nothing I lack nothing it's not so much when we read that we think the Lord is my shepherd and if you remember the King James I shall not want even there when you it, it's easy to think it's about what we want it's about God gives us what we want that's not what David is saying it's not about desiring something it is about lacking something that's needed. That's why here we read, I lack nothing. It doesn't mean that our shepherd will give us everything we want. That's the prosperity gospel. There are churches and pastors out there who tell you, if you live a life for God that makes God happy, he'll give you everything. He'll make you rich. That's baloney. That's not in the Bible. That's not what Psalm 23 says. Psalm 23 says, we will never lack what we need. And only God knows what we need. We think we need, we get needs and wants mixed up all the time, right? We think we need something when really we got to have it, we want it. I need that new car. With all of that fancy stuff. No, no, no. We may have a junky old car that gets us from point A to point B and never breaks down. It may be 20 years old, but it gets the job done, right? What do we want? I want a brand new 2020. Two. <laughs> See, that's, that's why Jane sits in the front row. 2022, yeah. 
That's the difference though, folks. And you know what the difference is? Whether we're content or not. Because contentment is a big part of Psalm 23. I shall not be in want. I can be content with what I have. As I trust my shepherd, I'm not craving, always wanting more of something that I don't have. I'm satisfied with what he's given me. I'm not addicted. I mean, think about addiction. I was thinking about that as a study this week. Addiction, and I'm not saying it's a simple solution at all, but addiction begins because we think we need something more than what we've already got. And Jesus is saying, I'll give you all that you need, not what you want, what you need, and I'll define that. Not because he's a tightwad, or selfish or not. No, because he knows what we need that's going to bring us closer to him. That's the whole point. This is David talking. He says, I have all that I need. I lack nothing. David, the one who was hunted by King Saul in the wilderness, he had to run for his life. David, who was betrayed by his own son Absalom, who, who tried to steal, who did successfully steal the kingdom from David. David, who lived in poverty and hardship. David, who ran around the wilderness, who was supposed to be the king. And he says, what? We think, I shall not want, I lack nothing. David did lack stuff. But it's not talking about the, the, the material or the physical needs that we have. He says, I lack nothing. We will always have what God knows we need. That's what he's talking about. David didn't have everything he needed or everything he, everything he wanted, I should say. Why do you think he committed adultery with Bathsheba? Because he went out on the roof one night, was looking at what he shouldn't have been looking like and desiring what he shouldn't have been desiring, and he got himself in trouble. John told the disciples, he said, hey, in this earth you will have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome. Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10, David also says, Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Fear the Lord, Jehovah, our shepherd. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We can be content. Those who seek the Lord will be content, will have all we need, will lack nothing. So in light of what you just heard, what do you need to do? We need to be like Paul and be content. We need to recognize that when we want something that we don't have, we either trust God to give it to us or just forget about it. Because God says, you will lack nothing of what you need. That's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. But he said, I have learned the secret of being content. And you say, oh, I wish I could be there. That's why in verse 13, he says, and I can do all this through him, through Jesus, through my shepherd who gives me strength. You say, I can't do that. No, you can do that. That's why Paul said, I can do all this. What? Be content. And as we begin this study, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He will meet my need every single time, every single one. He is all I need. Father, grip our hearts. Oh God, just ring in our ears and our minds and our hearts and our bodies. The Lord is my shepherd. I Lack nothing. God, please drive that truth down into our minds and our hearts that we trust you, that we're content with all that we have in Christ. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.